Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor. And once again, I'm so glad to be here with you for this week's episode, which is an interview with someone who challenged herself to really listen to her heart and follow her lifelong dream to start a school. I'm thrilled to have Gail Baker on the podcast today to talk about following your passion as an educator in midlife. As you know, midlife career transitions, well, they can be a little challenging, exciting, but a little challenging for sure. Gail's story is all about career changes. First, Gail Baker is a co-founder and past head of school of the Toronto Heschel School and co-creator of the Intergenerational Classroom. She shares her story of new beginnings and career transitions as someone who is passionate about education. Today, you'll hear about two big career changes and midlife transitions. Gail's an experienced educator with decades of teaching and curriculum development under her belt. When Gail was in her early 40s, she knew she was inspired to do more as an educator and was highly motivated to do so. She became one of the co-founders of the Toronto Heschel School, which is a Jewish day school in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Then when she was 60, she also listened to her heart and retired from the Toronto Heschel School, which had become so much a part of her identity. She knew it was time for her to move on to her next chapter because there was more she wanted to do. Now, as you can imagine, there's a lot of fear and courage involved with starting any big new initiative like a school. Fear and courage are also involved with closing an important, meaningful chapter in your life to move on and keep growing. Gail believes you should trust yourself, expect the best, and create your support team and community. She was always aware of her core values, and this is what guided her all along, and it continues to do so now as well. Now, I know you're going to love meeting Gail and enjoy hearing her story. This interview was such a treat for me, too, on a personal level, because Gail was the co-founder of the school that my three kids attended from junior kindergarten to grade eight. Her work directly affected and influenced my family in so many wonderful and positive ways. I'm incredibly grateful for the team she worked with to build the school and her amazingness as an educator in my community. And I'm really excited to introduce her to you here in the podcast. So please enjoy this interview. Hi, Gail. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Well, thank you, Susie, for inviting me. It's truly an honor for me to be on your podcast. So thank you. Oh, my gosh. There were so many reasons why I wanted to talk to you about all of the amazing and courageous accomplishments you've had and the way that you come up with these amazing ideas and then go forward. Now, I know you're thinking, really? And I'm like, yes, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's start with the way we met, which was in the, oh my gosh, when was it? It must have been 
2000? Just around 2000. Yeah, 99, 2000, something like that. Yeah, long time ago. Right. And the reason we met was because you had just started a school and I identified this school as where I wanted to send my children. So it was really new for me because it was my first kid. And I had no idea, really. I didn't have the appreciation of how new it was for you, too. So tell me a little bit about what that was like in your 40s when you decided to start a school. So that's a great question, because wanting to start a school is something that I've always wanted to do. Mm. And it was always a dream. And I used to go to camp and while people, when as a teenager, were reading like magazines like um, Teen Magazine and all of those kinds, I was reading books like Radical School Reform, Summer Hill, uh, <laughs> you know, John Holt's books, all those kinds of books. Uh, I was fascinated with the idea, and really, if I think about it, it came from um, when I read the book Little Women when I was eleven. My aunts and uncles had given it to me as a present, and I was like wow. I I identify, of course, with Joe, as most people do. And then I read all her work. And then I read all of Louise May Alcott's autobiographies and biographies. And I thought, I was like, Louise May Alcott, you know, reincarnated, you know, that's that adolescent, pre-adolescent brain. And so that was always an idea. And that resonated. I was like 11, 12 years old. And right through my teens, that whole idea of wanting to start a school Um, was always there. So it was nothing that just sort of popped into my head or brand new. It was something that had been percolating for a very, very long time. And I got a lot of experience teaching and being in the classroom, um, having my own little school in my house when my kids were little, until the moment arrived when uh, it was the right time and it was was the right moment. Um, A push from my husband who said, you got to get into something now, you know, because I was looking and the time was right. And I met Bahrand and we started talking. And from that, we decided that it was time to start this new Jewish day school. And what made it the right time in your mind? Well, it was the right time for a couple of reasons. For me personally, it was the right time. I had uh, resigned from teaching um, for a while because I wasn't sure that that was something that I necessarily wanted to keep doing. I knew I was totally committed to education and, and young children and learning and learning about children and learning from children, but I wasn't sure how that was going to be. So from a personal pers- point, I was ready. However, from a more sociological point of view, I was, Baruch and I weren't even, when we first met, we weren't even talking about starting a school. We were talking about our Sunday school programs and we were noticing um, what was happening in the world in Toronto and uh, the prime minister, Yitzhak Rabin, had just been uh, murdered in Israel. We were worried about, you know, what does that mean in civil, could there be a civil war and what, and how did that happen? And then we noticed in Toronto how divided the city was, um, you know, religiously. You know, if you were traditional, you, had, you went one place. If you were more liberal, you went somewhere else to pray. The whole city was divided. And we thought, what would it be like if we were to start a school that actually unified all of these things and talked that way and talked about social justice issues and talked about 
education and, and the child and starting from the where the child was at and moving forward and what would that be like and what would that look like? And so we just started talking and chatting and chatting. And from there, I said, well, if we're going to do this, um, I know some people that would be fantastic. And uh, we started to bring some people in that we knew to start a founding team. And we thought, let's just, let's do it. Let's do it. And the time is, and that's why the time was right personally. And from a more sort of global kind of perspective, we felt the time was right. Wow. So there was a need and you were ready to move. You were ready to move into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, but we were able to identify what the need was. And thankfully those two, you know, components came together and uh, we had a wonderful team and we just said, let's, let's try it. Let's do it. Now, did you know him from another context? How did the two of you find each other? No, we were, I was actually on the board of our synagogue and a fel- uh, another board member um, said to me, oh, I know somebody that you should meet. You should talk about, you know, he runs a Sunday school, you're running a Sunday school, and you should guys should talk. You probably would get along really well. And um, I said, okay, you know, I was looking for something. And so we just met. It was like, an, it was um, November, early November of 1995, actually. Uh, maybe the second week of November. And actually, when I first came home, my husband said, well, what did he want? And I said, he wants me to start a school with him. A Jewish day school. And he goes, great. I said, are you kidding? Like a Jewish day school? I don't know. And he goes, that's what you've wanted. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. I love this story because it started with you yeah. saying yes. Yeah. You have it's, to say yes. You have to say yes. You said you yes to... That, that yearning. And then you said yes to even meeting somebody that somebody just thought you should talk to. Yeah. So many people don't say yes at that phase, you know? But it's actually, it's a safe time to say yes in many ways, because I was saying yes to the discussion. I was saying yes to learning more. Uh, I wasn't saying yes, that we're doing this for sure. Uh, so in a way it was, a, it's, Safe. And I think that we don't say yes enough. I quite agree with you. There is a time to say no, (laughs) that's for sure. But I also think we don't say yes enough because we're afraid. Absolutely. And if we think about it, it's not this huge commitment necessarily. It could turn into a commitment, but it's always in increments. That's that's right. And that's what happened. And that's how the school was developed and built and et cetera. And it is in this Thriving still. Yeah. So 25 years this year, right? This is the 25th anniversary. That's amazing. So, yeah. So when you were at this initial stage, I was having my first kid. And what happened was I had a friend who went to one of those early meetings after you pulled together your Mm -hmm. team, your visionary team of Mm -hmm. leaders, the five of you. Um, You had some meetings to see who might be interested. And I had a friend who went to one of those and told me how amazing the meeting was. And I didn't even go to one. I just said, okay, sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it was very interesting for us because our very first meeting that we had in the February of now 1996 in um, the community, it was a blizzard, like the snow was piling and we, and we all looked at each other going, is anybody going to come? Like who would come out on a February night, a Sunday night in February in a snow blizzard? 
And we just kind of waited. And we also didn't have anything to show. We didn't have an address. We didn't have anything, you know, no bricks and mortar, nothing, just ideas and our experience. And you know what? Um, 50 people showed up that night. And it was very, very um, affirming and and inspiring and said, you know what? Maybe people are interested. And and we went, we just kept going from there. And we had two more community meetings and always around 50 people showed up. And so we said, let's do it. I, I can't even imagine that moment of deciding to do something like this where people have so much trust and belief in something brand new and not proven. So it's not just that you're taking on the risk as a parent for yourself, but you're trusting that this would happen. That this would happen and my my little babies and I know nothing about anything with for the first babies. Like school is just oh, I have no idea what's happening here. Fortunately, the team that we had pulled together um, all had been involved in education for years. So we weren't exactly newbies, uh, but this was putting the ideas together was what was new and and original, actually. And and that was actually, we were very excited by each other and we got so much from each other. And we had people from in our founding team that represented different points of view, um, all with the same vision, which was incredibly important, but different ways of getting to that vision. And for us, it was, for me especially, um, I mean, I can't speak for everybody else, but it was so intellectually stimulating and so affirming of things that I believed in. And so it was really thrilling for us. Wow. (laughs) I'm so, um, I love that you just mentioned how exciting it was professionally because um, I've noticed that too. There's a time, I think, in midlife where you're craving something. Yes. And we've been on one path for a long time, and there were lots of good things that happened as a result of being on that path. But there's often something missing, and there's kind of this feeling of um, being stagnant and not being as inspired as you used to be. And then when you have it again, it is so exciting. Like, I have never been more excited about work ever than I am right now. And I can totally see, and certainly that was the environment as an, as a parent that we were walking into. Like it was just so exciting and fresh and new to be incorporating all those different important ideas into an education for my baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and we're glad you did. And you came and you brought your three of them, which was I bought three of them and we were there forever. (laughs) It was awesome. So I want to um, also ask you about fear and courage, because when I look at what you did, you and the founding members did it, um, there had to be fear, but there also had to be courage. So what was it like for you to do something when you had no guarantee that it was going to be the way you wanted it to be? Well, it's interesting because the fear part actually didn't come until the night before we opened. <laughs> we were just in such a high, if, you, if I can say that, yeah. an excitement about doing this. And to be quite honest, at the time, I didn't imagine that the school was going to grow into this big school. I was imagining just a little group of people and we would be you know, learning together. That was what I was thinking was going to happen. I didn't, it didn't occur to me that this was going to evolve 
into this institution. So that was part of it, my naivety, uh, thankfully, (laughs) (laughs) pushed me. But, you know, the night before we were uh, cleaning, like we did everything at the beginning. And one of, I was with um, Judy, one of the other founders, and we're cleaning the toilets and we're getting everything ready. And it was like, wait a minute, maybe nobody's going to show up tomorrow. Like, now what are we going to do? We've, you know, we're going to pay rent and where are we going to get the money? And yes, you know, but when push comes to shove, are there actually going to be kids coming through the door? Like, uh-oh. And so no, nobody slept that night. And it was like, what happens if nobody comes? And that was really what the fear was. What if this was just like this pie in the sky idea that we had? People came along because they were enthusiastic, but when it came down to crossing that threshold, no. So that's what the fear was. What if they actually decide, you know what, we're not taking a chance and this is a chance. Although we didn't feel it was a chance because we were experienced educators. For a parent with a young child, maybe they felt that. Some of them, not all of them, but some people would feel that. So we were like, this could be the biggest flop in history. (laughs) Now what? But we were at the point of no return. So we didn't sleep and we got there very early the next morning and just stood there looking at each other and then... One by one, those 52 children and their families came in through the door. Wow. And like, Whoa. Okay, this is really happening now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is not theoretical. This is really happening. And it was fantastic because the early years parents, in particular, those for I mean, even still, but at the beginning, they were warriors for us. They believed in it. They were going to make sure this was going to happen. And they were totally became part of our team, which was fantastic. And that really um, helped sustain us and gave us the courage to keep going and not innovating all over the place, but certainly within reason. And we were very much a research-based. We saw ourselves as a research-based school. So we didn't want to be like the flavor of the month, whatever was happening that was we were going to be part of. Everything we did was so carefully planned out and so research-based. And we were going to... Uh, meetings and we were going to seminars and we were going to conferences and we went to a number of us went to Harvard and we studied with Howard Gardner, who was really one of our uh, pedagogical mentors. And so we did that and we decided that was so important and that's how we did it. And we just kept going from there. Wow. I came in in the third year. Yes. So you were one of the warriors. I was definitely a warrior and I felt like a warrior. Like once I got the proper education to really understand what was happening here, there wasn't a doubt in my mind that this wasn't where my kids were going to receive their amazing education. Not a doubt in my mind. Thank you. (laughs) Sometimes we have to borrow the beliefs of other people. (laughs) I have found that to be true. A lot of times I, well, it recently, there's all kinds of things I'm afraid to do. And then I just borrow other people's belief in me temporarily until I learn to work on my thoughts and create that belief for myself. So that's amazing. Thank you for being so courageous. <laughs> Thank you for being courageous also and being a warrior for us. What an amazing community and education. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I do say sometimes to the kids, you know, that foundation for that interest or that perspective was built in your early in your early years at, at Heschel. And sometimes they roll their eyes, but I'll never forget when two of my kids chose a program that had a logo that was so similar to the logo of the school right. at their university. 
because their program was basically the same sort of approach without the religious element of it. <laughs> I just nodded and winked and <laughs> felt proud of myself as a parent. <laughs> a good parenting moment. We need those. We it was. Yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. So true. So true. OK, so you founded a school. You had an amazing team of educators. You impacted so many families' lives and left a legacy. Now, when did you start to think of what you would do next? What was that like for you as you grew the school and grew professionally? Um, you know, it, a lot of times I call it a midlife funk mm -hmm. when you just start to feel again, not the exact same way you felt when you decided to create the school, right, but right. that you sensed that there, it might be time for a change. What was that like? Right. That's interesting. And that has, um, that took a long time. And it actually took a couple of years of talking and soul searching because when you build something, there comes a point I was aware of that, and I, or I felt that you need to kind of sign your art and let it go. And you have to know when that time is. I think that's really important. And it had, I was at that point, it was maybe 15, 16 years into the school. And I started to think, and I started to realize and started to feel actually that other things were starting to pull me. And it wasn't that I was feeling being pushed out. I certainly wasn't, that was not the case, but I was feeling a pull in other directions. And I thought, what does that mean? Why am I feeling that there are still these things that I'd like to do I loved my job. I loved the people I worked with. I loved the kids. I loved the parents. I loved everything about it. Yet I was starting to feel this need to do something else and to move in a different direction. And part of it is I was feeling I didn't want the intensity anymore mm. of that all-encompassing um, job and life. And it was really life because it became my life and it was very positive and, and I don't regret any, any of it, but there comes a time when it's like, you know what? I, we had, I had these ideas. Um, I was able with a fabulous team to create, to build. It's ready to go. I have total trust in my leadership team. I have trust in the community and it's time. It's time. I need to start thinking about it other things. And what are these other things that are pulling me? But it took me, I would say, a good two years to come to the decision and feel comfortable that I could let it go. And I knew it would thrive because I felt very strongly that if it didn't thrive after I left, then that would be a failure of my leadership. Mm. I felt that very strongly. So it took me two years to make the decision. And then another two years to do the transition and work with the team and work with a group of parents and board members uh, to make that transition happen so that it, cause it's not about me and it should never be about me an individual. It's really about the school and letting that school evolve in the way that it needs to knowing that our vision and mission is entrenched in bylaws. So nobody's going to come around and, and switch it to something totally different, but that it needs to evolve. It needs to grow. It can't be stagnant. And so I knew it was time. I didn't know what I was necessarily going to. I had different things, but I knew it was time. And it was wow. really hard because I was so attached. <laughs> and it took me a long time to detach, actually, after I left. 
I can totally see that. So it must have been when you started to get an inkling, mm -hmm. like in those first two years where you started to think about it and be pulled, what were the things that were pulling you? Things, family, family things, what was happening in my family. My parents were aging. My mother had had a stroke. Uh, my in-laws were aging. They were great and competent and everybody was great, but those kinds of things. And my kids were all getting married and I knew they were going to start a family. And I thought I would like to be around, you know, and give time to my grandchildren as well. And I also was thinking of all the other things professionally that I wanted to do still. And I wasn't going to sit in a rocking chair. It wasn't about that. And I thought there are lots of things that I still want to do. And I couldn't really do them in my position at Heschel because it was so all encompassing mm -hmm. as when you're head of school, you're just doing everything and you're totally involved in everything. So I knew I actually had to move away from that comfort zone because it was a comfortable place for me at that point and a loving place to something else that was more unknown, but I really felt like I needed to move in that direction. It was time. It was time. And I still had energy and I still thankfully had good health and curiosity and interest. So that's, that's why. Wow. How old were you when you finally left the school? I don't remember. 60. I was 60. I turned 60. Oh, wow. And how old were you when you opened the school? So I guess I opened the school. I was 41, 42. Now, I remember when you turned 50. Yes, because I had a bat mitzvah at the school. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Because I thought that was something I wanted to mark being turning 50. And I thought, oh, maybe I should like run a marathon. But I wasn't a runner. You know? <laughs> and so I was trying to think of all these amazing things. And I thought, wait a minute, but that's not who I am. And really, how better to celebrate than with my Heschel family and my own nuclear family and you know extended family. And I never had a bat mitzvah. So I thought, that's what I'm going to do. And, and I did. And I'm thrilled. And I was really nervous about it <laughs> because that certainly was not my training and upbringing. And how can I go in front? And I thought, how can I go in front of all these children and, you know, do everything that's needed? And then I started to think about how they must feel also. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And that was very scary, but I had amazing support. Amazing oh my support. gosh, that was such a beautiful moment. And I think it just left such a memory for so many people that, that yeah, you were doing so, you prioritized yourself. It was so, yeah. so good. Out of my comfort zone though. Yeah. Well, you've done a lot that's out of your comfort zone. <laughs> you feel, I, am, I guess. Feel <laughs> the fear and do it anyway. Right, right. That's yes. so important. That's that's so important because we don't always have the answers before we it's impossible to have all the answers. Okay, so so you made the decision. You yeah. you created a, a very healthy transition for you privately and then for you publicly. And then uh, what happened next? How did you manage your thinking around what you would do next? That's been tough, very tough. And it's actually been ongoing. So I'm out six years now since I left, but it's not, I'm not a completely in a, in a totally new space uh, yet. I'm getting there and I'm doing different things. So what I needed to really do which was very hard for me because it's not my personality was to sit still for a while. Mm. And that is so not me because I'm always wanting to do and be involved and do this and do that. 
but I had to learn to sit still and let ideas come and let imagination come and also look at my life circumstances and say, okay, that's a value too, you know, just because I'm not running a school, being able to, you know, help out when a new baby's born or to spend time with my, you know, parents is valuable and really important. And when you're out in the working world and you're getting a paycheck and then to go from not getting a paycheck, it's difficult because then you start to wonder how valuable, like society values people really who are getting a paycheck. And even though I've talked that talk of being, these choices are really important, it's very hard. Uh, I found it very hard, let's say, to, to reconcile all of those different feelings and to feel comfortable with it. And what I, you know, and then I thought, well, maybe I should do something like so different than what I've ever done, like completely different. And so I thought about that for a while, but really who I am, I'm an educator. I love that. I love working with people. I know what my core values are, which I had to really think about because that also helped me and it helped inform how I was going to move forward. It informed how I ran the school. As you know, you have core value. My core values are really family and community. And that's what I wanted to create at the school. So of course I want to continue that because that is who I am. And how can that best be manifested? And what else can I do? And one of the things I realized is the intergenerational classroom that we had started at Heschel, but that I continued on um, after I left the school, you know, in official terms. And I continued on and have continued on with the intergenerational classroom in many different ways. So that was one thing. And then one, another thing that I always wanted to do was work on a documentary. So instead of just coming up with some idea, why not do a documentary on something that I'm doing? So we have, so I was able to secure the funds and we um, made a documentary of the intergenerational classroom. Oh, amazing. So I got to do that which I loved and I'm so thrilled with and, and really happy with how that worked out. So I got to continue. I, so I was doing that and it's like, wow, you know, and over the years, people have said to me, why aren't you writing or why aren't you writing your story? And it was like, who wants to, you know, my husband will read it. My kids will read it, <laughs> you know, like, you know, who else is going to read it really family, you know? And people were talking about it so many times. And, and then I knew it had to be more than, I didn't want it to be like the Toronto Heschel School story. That story will get written, um, but not now. And so with this pandemic and some more time at home, um, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And so I'm very immersed in, in writing. It's part memoir, part professional. And... And so that's what I'm doing now. And it's going to take a while for me to finish this book. Believe me, believe me, you know, the more I write and it's evolved, the, the notion of what the book is going to be about is actually evolved. And I think being in a pandemic has really helped me actually with that. So that's a, that's a good thing about the pandemic for me. Yeah. I'm always looking for COVID gifts. That is yeah. a COVID gift and it's, uh, yeah. it, it's given you some clarity and some sanctioned time and, and, you know, to sit still. You know, I hear that um, difficulty in sitting still is such a common theme that comes up with with women our age. Uh, so many have difficulty even allowing themselves to read a book. 
Right. Or do a puzzle. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. I thought, I used to think, oh, I'll have time in the afternoon to read books, have my tea. I would not do that. I actually refused to do that in this first maybe year or two even. I refused to read a book in the afternoon. I thought, how can I do that? That's not possible. That's not right. That's not good. There's so much to have to you can be doing. Why do you want to sit and read a book in the middle of the afternoon? It took me a long time to get through that. Yeah. Well, if I don't read in the afternoon, I will fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, so, so good. So I I really hear what you're saying about that transition of uh, reevaluating your professional identity and the way that you make a professional contribution. And in the work that I do, that is the terminology I've come up with. It's not working. Mm-hmm. It's the way you make a professional contribution, which may be as a volunteer. It may be when you're doing something that that is not uh, like a nine to five job or a contract. Um, but like making the documentary is you making a professional contribution. For example, right? And there's so many ways. You've you've been an active volunteer. I've been an active volunteer, and I show up as my professional self in those capacities too, right? That's true. That's so true. Thank you for saying that. That actually makes me feel good. Thank you. Totally. I mean, I used to think of it, I used to say um, to my kids, you know, I'm not retiring, I'm refocusing. But you gave, that's great language to think about to the whole, this whole period right now. I'm bringing my professional self into whatever it is that I'm doing. You can't help it. You can't help it. You're welcome. But because it's a passion. And so you've identified your passion as these core values, but you're an educator. Like, can you imagine being on a desert island? Well, that's all we can do right now. <laughs> it's just imagine. Yeah. I can imagine that, yes. <laughs> can you imagine uh, being alone wherever it is that you might be right. and not thinking about being an educator? It's impossible because it's who you are. And that is the beautiful thing about a passion and you've identified yours and maybe you wouldn't have thought about it this way before because it was so tied to your day to day, but it's, it's who you are. It's essential. And that's why so many people get tripped up um, trying to figure out what they're passionate about because I think they're looking too hard. Yes, you're right. And because people won't sit still. Yeah. Yeah. Really wide. It's so, and it's really hard to do that. Yeah. So important and so critical. And and then you know what? Sometimes your personal and professional lives merge. Like I have a grandchildren at Heschel now. <laughs> Gail is another role actually with Heschel, which is interesting. So sometimes those roles do merge, um, and sometimes they don't. And that's that's completely cool as well and completely fine as well. And um and you, and so you still, but you still do bring in your professional life. I love, I just love thinking about it that way. This is really going to give me a lot to think about. Appreciate oh, it. oh, wow! I'm so, I'm so glad. I struggled with it at the beginning because, um, I, you know, now as a coach, I have an online business, and when you're new as a coach, that transition for me, going from 27 years of working mm-hmm. in a job to, um being trained as something related, but different. And then starting an online business, you don't make money right away. And you have to really figure out what is your special sauce and how do you want to make a contribution? And 
what are your gifts and you know what do you want to do who are the people that you want to work with and and there is a gap <laughs> oh there's definitely a gap there's definitely a gap and uh, and when you're transitioning this way it's also really important to feel strong enough to say i don't want those people in my orbit anymore or those are the kind of people i who are coming in i don't want in and to have the strength to say no this is what i need this is what will help me go forward and not feel that you're just being very self-centered or something but that you start to really know yourself yes and start to think of more of someone said to me it's not you know what you are it's who you are and that's what i've been finding through this transition it's i'm trying i'm finding out more and more who i am it's not that i was going through identity crises before it's not that at all it's just the more you transition the more you take on the more you say yes the more you find out a little bit about yourself and that's great too it absolutely i think the difference is that you're responding you're not just chaotically responding anymore you're thinking very intentionally it's going from that chaotic routine yeah to being to pausing and being very intentional and allowing yourself to want what you want with compassion with respect you know and and just say it's okay for me to want this and move in this direction on purpose yeah. and that's really what it sounds like you're being very successful at right now <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting times it really is and one of the uh, beliefs that i am really thinking about a lot lately it's coming up in my groups and my coaching a lot lately is asking people to really look at their mindset around the idea that the best is really yet to come. And I find that most it's very common, I won't say most, it's very common to say that the best is yet to come, to share a quote that the best is yet to come, but to really believe that the best is yet to come and that there is incredible opportunity and possibility still available to us. Right. After we've done what we've been doing for so long, now at our age so many of us don't really believe it when they really take a look at the way they think and respond and comment and be. Uh, so, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's interesting because I think maybe one of the issues why people struggle with that is because there are many the best is yet to come moments in your life. So, starting the school was like that was the best you know kind of thing is yet to come. I finally got to do it. And I was doing it, you know, in my relationships, you know, in my marriage and my kids, all those were my best yet to come times. You know, these are things I'd imagined. So now it's another best is yet to come. It's not like I haven't had many. And I think if you think of it that way, that it's, it's not a, you know, unattain otherwise it becomes like unattainable. You know, the best is yet to come. Well, when's that going to happen? What if all these other things happen? But if you see it more as several best is yet to come moments in your life, then this is just another one. And it's a great one. And just go for it. Yes, just go for it and say yes more often. So, so good. So how can people um, capitalize on your experience? Like, what would you say if you wanted to tell somebody who's struggling or fearful or doesn't believe that there's still amazingness ahead, uh, what would you say to them? I'd say, trust yourself. 
Trust yourself, trust who you are, trust your being. Think of all the things, um, you know, that have happened in your life, all the wonderful things and all the things that you've, that weren't wonderful, but that you've learned and you've grown from. Think of all of those things and really, you know, be in the moment in a sense, like bless the moment and think here I am now and, and what does this mean? And, and believe in yourself and expect the best expect the best. And oh, yeah. I love that. Expect the best. That is so yeah. good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. it possible to see the documentary that you mentioned? It's on YouTube. Oh, it is on YouTube. So I can share a link in my show notes. Oh, that would be great. That would oh, be yeah. 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 Awesome. It's called from generation to generation, disrupting stereotypes in the intergenerational classroom. Oh, that's fantastic. I know listeners are going to want to catch that. Anybody interested in education? Uh, for sure. Thank you so 20 much. Minutes, 20 minutes. So people should know. Oh, it's not, not even that long. Fantastic. Yeah. Some people like things even shorter. <laughs> attention spans are getting less and less. So I always feel like I need to tell people it's 20 minutes. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> you are so right about attention. But oh, look, there's a squirrel. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. No, that's so, that's so true. What a delight it has been to have you here. You know, one of the other chances I had to talk to you at a very reflective level was when I coordinated the 10 year anniversary video at the school. And we had a big gala when we hit that milestone. And I took on a project that, I don't know, I had no business taking on. I had no idea how to to do what we did. But again, I pulled together a good team. And I had the opportunity to interview each of the five founders and it was, it was such an amazing opportunity to hear some of what it was like that you shared today when you guys came together with this new exciting idea for this type of education in Toronto. It was so, so fun. And here I am again, who knew I would have a podcast. (laughs) I I know. Think of all the things that we've done over the years. We really have had some amazing opportunities together. Yes. Yes. So thank you so, so much for sharing you. your, your courage and your insight and your experience of making a very, uh, very special mark on Jewish education in Toronto and not just Jewish education, but um, the, what the, the school has become has provided so many examples of what's possible in innovative education with the environment, with uh, multi-sensory learning, with all of that sort of stuff. So what a contribution you've made. Thank You're, you. Yeah, it's been amazing. Thank you for Thank you. everything. Remember, team, team, team. You had a huge team. And, and everything's about team. And even now when you transition, it's about team. And absolutely. Not, it's, finding your, it's finding your people. That is really true. And especially now in the pandemic, when there's uh, we're just alone more. We really have to reach out in creative and different ways yeah. and build these communities. We always have to connect with community, but we really have to build them in even more in a, innovative ways now. So you you knew that yeah. you needed team and yeah. you found you found a team and made a huge legacy in Toronto. So yeah. thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Susie. I really appreciate this. And this was great. I enjoyed this. Thank you. Super fun. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. So good, right? Gail shares the importance of really listening to your heart in times of transition like this. 
She knew when she wanted and needed to do more in education, and she did. Even though she didn't have a guarantee of what it would turn out like, none of us have a guarantee when we're doing something new. In fact, Gail couldn't even imagine it. So important to remember that. And then, even when she loved her job, she really tuned into her thoughts again and knew there were other things pulling her in a different direction. She listened carefully and knew when to move on. Even though she was out of her comfort zone, she had the courage to move toward what was pulling her. Now, I can't say the same. (laughs) When I was so stuck and feeling so stagnant for five years, I did let fear get in the way, but she didn't. She didn't let fear get in the way. And what she really did, she regret-proofed her life. Okay, that is it for this episode. As you know, my focus as a midlife coach is to help you waste less time spinning and feeling stuck about aging, about empty nest, about relationships, about your career, about being more compassionate toward yourself, about all of it. It's time to get excited about your life again. Remember, I always say this, you got to remember, being the queen of your brain domain, it really is the best way to be. And I am here to help. Learning the mindfulness concepts are one thing, but when it comes to applying the concepts, that's when you really benefit from coaching. I can help you grow faster. You'll see the connections and insights more clearly. And we laugh a lot too, because first of all, I can't help it. And secondly, (laughs) you're going to learn how to be more curious and more compassionate with yourself. And when you're more curious, you'll laugh too. It's so good and such a beautiful gift. Head over to www.talktosuzie.com and check out the private coaching options there and just apply. For show notes and links, head over to www.coachwithsuzie.com. And to get a copy of my new book, 50 Ways to Celebrate Life After 50, check out Amazon or your favorite online bookseller or go to www.50waystocelebrate.com. Let's do this, ladies. It's time for you to put yourself first one thought at a time. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.